The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by Orlando Homes Express, brokered by EXP Realty, proudly serving Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties. Call 407-790-9957 or visit WeSellOrlando.net. What's happening tonight, fans? Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. I'm Jeff Sharon, alongside Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy, and we've got a stacked show for you today. We are, uh, you know, we may have been, UCF may have been left out of the college football playoff, but certainly we are at least in your top four of UCF podcasts, or so we hope. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you can follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. Uh, where we are also at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter, uh, and also Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. Follow us individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez Elo, and Spokes underscore Murphy uh, as we dive headlong here into the month of December. And what a weekend um, it was. We're, by the way, we have a lot going on in the show, also, not just football wise, um, or at least not just UCF football wise. Uh, our guest for the show, Chris Martin. Former uh, UCF offensive tackle, uh, made his way into the NFL, uh, and is now looking to uh, latch on with the Orlando Apollos of the Alliance of American Football. The Apollos, uh, with a big week, actually, um, unveiling their um, uniforms and um, and helmets. Uh, of course, they're going to be playing at Spectrum Stadium. Uh, nine UCF guys on the roster, and Chris is one of them. And uh, he's gonna. And I actually caught up to him during college game day, and so we wanted to wait for an appropriate time to actually air that because it was a really good interview. And I figure now is a good enough time with a bunch of the news coming from the um, AAF and opportunities for UC, former UCF players there uh, as well. But nonetheless, um, lots more to talk about of more immediate varieties, um, which we will get to. Of course, obviously, you know we'll talk, we'll talk a little bit more about volleyball and hoops after our break. But we start with football. And uh, UCF football, specifically the Knights, are the 2018 American Athletic Conference champions once again, uh, defeating Memphis in uh, fairly dramatic fashion. Um, well, I say dramatic fashion; it kind of wasn't all that dramatic toward the end, but um, but it was a little uh, a little weird there. And the Knights are going to the uh, the uh, Fiesta Bowl to play LSU for the first time ever. But uh, we'll get to the LSU stuff in a little bit. But first, I want to talk about. Um, Memphis with you guys, uh, Murph. You and I were there, Eric. You, Eric, you watched the game from afar. Um, so we're sitting there, and it's thirty-eight to twenty-one at the half, Murph. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'll start with you. And at that point, you're thinking, "What?" Uh, I'm well. I, I just couldn't get my mind off of that Otis Anderson muff punt. Which had turned everything around. I yeah. mean, that that's really what I thought was going to decide this game because the momentum was on UCF side. You know, you had Josh Heupel pumping up the fans, unlike we'd seen anything before from him this season. It was thirty-one twenty-one. Uh, you know, UCF was you know uh, kicking off after a touchdown. Uh, they they forced Memphis to a I think I don't know if it was a three and out, but they forced Memphis to punt, and then Otis Anderson muffs the punt. Memphis recovers on their on the UCF plus side of the ter- of the field and scores a touchdown right before half. That makes it, it turns a turns what could have been a three point game and was a ten point game into a seventeen point game. And I thought that would that would be it. Uh, I really thought like I, I wonder what Birmingham is like this time of year. That's kind of <laughs> what I was thinking at half. Um, 
but uh, but certainly the, the the third quarter magic that this team possesses uh, came out in droves yet again. It's, yeah. It was kind of amazing to watch. Lopez, what about you? I thought to myself, how is Mike Norvell going to blow this game again? Ah, and yeah. uh, you you can't and he, stand and he, Mike and, Norvell. <laughs> well, to me. If I'm a Memphis fan, I'm asking myself, <laughs> is this guy the long-term guy? Because I still can't get over the fact he did not go for it on fourth and goal at the two-yard line, let alone hand the ball off to his best player on the team. That's Henderson. fair. That's very fair. We were saying the same exact thing when they had that long drive where it looked in the second half where it looked like their running game was finally getting underneath their feet a little yeah. bit. It was what, what was the score at that point? Um, it was 38 to... 35. 35. Yeah, it was um yeah, it was 38-35 with about under 5 minutes to go in the third. And UCF had scored twice uh and and you could feel the momentum, the game had flipped. And then Memphis's running game just starts cranking back up. And if they score there, they make it 45-35 heading into the fourth. And a two-score game heading into the fourth as you guys both know, is a much different animal than a one-score game heading into the fourth, Eric. And then they had third and goal at the, what was it, like the four-yard line or something, Eric? At the, they had third and goal at the two. Third and goal at the two. Yep. Okay. This is, this is, and I'm going to write about this later today. I'm so glad Eric brought this up. I'm going I'm to write about this, too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they had runs on the previous four plays before the third and goal at the two. They had runs consecutively of seven, seven, four, seven six, four, and four. Yeah. So they had third and goal at the two. Right. So third and goal at the two, and Eric Lopez, your favorite coach in the whole world, Mike Norvell, decides to do what? Throw the football. (laughs) With a stiff quarterback who's terrible, who clearly, I would argue, is not even the best quarterback in his backfield. I would rather have Daryl Henderson be the quarterback the rest of the game. I thought he threw the best pass Memphis quarterback threw all day. I hope your your fingers aren't burning from that hot take. Anyway, carry on. But – so no, and I thought the message there was we're not we're we're not to lose, and because I knew I felt UCF would make a run. I thought as bad as everything went in the first half, I thought offensively, you know, they started doing some nice things. I knew they were going to get the ball in the second half. Uh, you know, they got some benefits of some officiating calls, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, but those things happen in games like that, right? I mean, especially, yeah, that, well, yeah, especially when you can benefit for four million dollars if a certain team wins. But whatever. Uh, put the tin foil hat away. Go ahead. Nonetheless, <laughs> you have to try to go for the win there, even if you don't make it. Right? If you don't make it, you're pinning UCF back. But by kicking the field goal, that was like a victory for UCF, and I thought it was a momentum there. It was basically a message of, I don't trust our guys to win this game, so we're just trying to hold on. And UCF blew them away in the fourth quarter. And, I, I you know, again, it once UCF took the lead, it was over because psychologically Memphis was not going to come back, not after yeah. what happened in October, not after what happened last year. And you could tell in the body language, UCF – Knew they were going to win this game, and Memphis did not. And uh, I thought, again, for the second time this year, Memphis let them off the hook. And I think Mark uh, Mike Norville is going to have to really think about some of those decisions. And credit to UCF. They took advantage of it. They they were given the opening, and they took advantage, and they uh, crashed through the door, and they uh, knocked them out. Well, between these two teams in the last two conference championship games, they've combined for over 200 points. And twenty seven hundred total yards, but it, you. But I think you're right, Eric. That 
I don't think it's that Norvell was playing not to lose. I think he out. I think he outthought himself, and he said, "All right, third and goal at the two. They know I'm going to run the ball. I'm going to run a bootleg." Um, and to be fair, Brady White put the ball right on Demonte Coxie, and Coxie didn't hang on to it. I was more surprised. No, 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 no. Okay, then I must have been mistaken for something else. Because, but, but for me, I've watched this game three. I've watched this game three times now. That that ball was not on his hands. It wasn't diving. It's a diving attempt that 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 hit his hands, but it was a full out diving attempt that he had to make and could not make. Okay, but but okay, but that even okay. Let's put that aside then. Third and goal. Okay, fine. Fourth and goal. You're still on the two. Yeah, <laughs> and put the guys out there. I mean, run the ball, and they decided to go for a 19-yard field goal, which it should be illegal to kick a to kick a field goal shorter than 20 yards. But if you score a touchdown there, you're up two possessions. You kick the field goal, you're only up one possession. You effectively didn't do anything, right? Yep. And that, and that's the thing. But here we are, you know, ripping Memphis the entire time and not giving any due credit, which I think is due, to uh, UCF in the second half, in particular um, Daryl Mack, who apparently, according to the TV guys, his name is DJ. Um, his nickname. Yeah. That's his nickname. Yeah, hey, man. Yeah. Well, hey. Yeah, the two guys who were the real studs in this game for UCF, uh, uh, DJ and Greg McRae. Um, McRae had 206 yards on 24 carries. Um to lead, uh, to lead, well, UCF's rushers. Um, two hundred. Uh, he was four yards short of Daryl Henderson, and then Mac, nineteen to twenty-seven for three forty-eight. That's more yards than, um, than uh, Mackenzie Milton threw for in any game this year, which was really surprising to me. Um, two touchdown passes, and he ran for four, which was a school record, uh, fifty-nine yards net. So, um. You know what do we? I, I mean, that second half, thirty-five to three, the Knights had still had to put the points on the board, and they did. Yeah, that's a good observation. I mean, that's really, that's really <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Moving on. I mean, really, well, like, that, that offense is great. Well, I'll say this: I think Mac was tremendous credit after the fumbles early in the first half. A lot oh, of yeah. guys maybe would have lost their confidence. I, I think, to me. And, you know, we'll find out in the bowl game he's going to get all the practice, you know, what, 15 practices between now and the bowl game or, right. you know, because, you know, these quality bowl games, you got to wait like six years to play them. Um, I think this kid's the real deal. I think, you know, I know a lot of people are concerned about the quarterback position next year with the situation with McKenzie and everything. I, I'm not. Neither am I. I, I. I think to me – now, I do think they have to bring in quarterbacks in because from a depth standpoint because of injury, but – you know, this whole a lot of talk about transfer quarterback, and I don't think I don't want to transfer quarterback because that's just going to create headaches. I to me, I think Max the real deal, and I think if you give him the reps and experience, I think he can handle this offense. And I actually think he, as crazy as it sounds, I think he's actually a better fit for the Josh Heupel offense than McKenzie was because I think there's certain things Mac can do in the Heupel offense, like running the football, giving him some misdirection that McKenzie probably doesn't do as well uh, as far as a physical runner. I mean, Mac's a physical runner. I mean, he's a he's a threat in the goal line. He is a big threat. Um, and I think UCF was very physical, and I, I liked what I saw, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he does against LSU, but I yeah. think if he plays well against LSU, he's your starting quarterback 
2019 and beyond. I, I'm really interested. I think you might be right about that, and I'll tell you the other reason why. Not just the, not just the running wise, but we know that Heupel's passing game is a lot more vertical than yep. Scott Frost was. And guess what? Daryl Mack whipped out the vertical passing game in this ball game. He had four completions of 44 yards or longer. He's got a big arm. Big arm. He's got a huge arm, man. And not to say that McKenzie doesn't. McKenzie does have a very big arm. Um, he's a lot more, he's a lot more, I think, overall accurate. I think the difference is if they can work on Mack's touch, which is yes. what, uh, which is what, uh, to be fair, Scott Frost worked on with Mackenzie Milton in the offseason between 2016 and 2017, you know, ball placement and and when to take a little something off of it. I think that he could be um, he could develop into a, a really, really special weapon uh, for UCF in the coming um, in the coming years. Gabe Davis and uh, Dredrick Snelson both had 100 yards receiving, by the way, and Otis Anderson had one catch, but for 54 yards and a touchdown. That was the that was the game that kind of, that was the play that really helped UCF right after halftime. I think um, in terms of getting getting their feet underneath them um, offensively. So UCF wins the conference championship for the second consecutive year, twenty five wins in a row. They keep, by the way, they keep the turnover streak alive um, on the what was effectively the last actual play of the game. I mean, it wasn't the last actual play, but the last meaningful play of the game with an interception. Um, and UCF wins fifty six forty one, and their reward for winning twenty five wins, winning twenty five games in a row, is the Fiesta Bowl against LSU. Um, obviously, there was some outside hope that potentially UCF could have snuck yeah, in. I, that was by you. Well, no, not just me. Um, oh, but, naive people, naive people. Uh, uh, yeah, people. So. Um, but UCF was not going to get into the playoff because the system is what it is. So, um, nonetheless, uh, a high level SEC opponent uh, out of the S- a high level SEC West opponent, nonetheless, um, out in the desert uh, on uh, New Year's Day. So, what do we make of this matchup with LSU uh, coming into town, or, or not out coming into town with us going out there with them? Um, a lot, a lot of, a lot of consternation. By the way, a lot of people thought that you know it should have been Florida in the Peach Bowl. There's been some speculation that uh, Florida's athletic director may have uh, pulled a few strings in order to make that not happen. Shocking. We, I mean, we have no actual hard confirmation of anything wait, like that. Wait, wait, not that we wait. would. Um, but. That's this is what we got. We got the Bayou Bengals on 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 New Year's Day. So, um, early thoughts about the matchup, Eric Lopez. It's a boring game. <laughs> uh, wow! No, seriously, it, it's and this is again the bowl system's a joke. I do believe Florida ducked this game, and and the reason is think about this just for common sense, real quick. Would it not make more sense? Because I've talked to LSU people, I've talked to Michigan people about this. Florida, Florida, by the way, is yeah. playing Michigan again for like the for like the eighth time you, in the last three you. years. So anyway, thank go you. ahead. Sorry. The third time. Like Michigan fans are not excited about this matchup at all. They're like, really? We're playing them again? Michi- you could have set up Michigan versus LSU in the Fiesta Bowl, which they have never played before. They have never played. Those two schools have never played before. The Peach Bowl, you could have had Florida and UCF. Think that would have been a sellout for both sides? Yeah. So I think you would have had two interesting games. Instead, 
because certain people are too cry too scared oh, of the consequences if, God forbid, they lose a bowl game because their egos can't handle it. So they decide instead to pull some strings because that's certain AD, certain to be in the you know administration there. And you get Florida-Michigan, which is a whatever game. Been there, done that. I've seen that game. I covered that game a couple years ago here in the Citrus Bowl. Meanwhile, you're forcing UCF to fly out to the Glendale to take on an LSU team that's going to be probably without a third of their starting defense, either due to injury or guys declaring for the NFL draft that aren't going to play because they want to stay healthy for the draft. So instead, we got two games where I don't think LSU fans are particularly excited to be playing UCF, what what I've talked to. I don't think Michigan fans are excited to be talking about playing Florida again in the Peach Bowl. And I don't think uh, Murph, I mean, I don't think there's UCF fans that are not real thrilled that they got to go all the way to Glendale from a financial standpoint. It's a, it's not an easy trip to do Glendale instead of driving up to Atlanta. So nobody wins here, but that's the beautiful the system here, the bowl games, uh, as far as I'm concerned. But, hey, we get to play an SEC team with a n- nickname Tigers for the second year in a row. Woo! Uh, you got to love those tie-ins. As a writer, you have to love those, those tie-ins. Um, <laughs> as a person also looking uh, currently still at plane tickets for Phoenix, uh, yeah, it's it's not as good as going to Atlanta because it's not a good time of year going out to Arizona around New Year's. The plane tickets are, are, are ridiculous. But I, I, I feel like they, they, you know, the fans will find a way to get out there. And, and Eric, I, I do disagree. I, I really like this game. Uh, and actually, most uh, our parent company – SB Nation really likes this game. I think I had an article up this week about uh, the watchability of each bowl game, all 7,000 of them. And UCF ranked second in terms of watchability. Well, I think that uh, tells you how bad the other games are, probably. Well, yeah, possibly. I will not be watching uh, most of these games. But no. uh, I, th- I think, uh, look, I th- UCF right now is watchable alone. People want to sure, watch sure. UCF. So sure. I, I think that's a draw because – UCF is captivating. Whether you love them or you hate them, you're going to watch them because uh, you want to see if they lose. You well, I, don't, see- I, I don't disagree with you on that, Murph, but you're, you're yeah. telling me that UCF Florida would not have had more appeal because of the in-state rivalry, the chit-chat both sides. I, I think – I mean, no, that, no, no, that, no, no. that's all I'm, I'm saying. That, that would obviously have more appeal. I mean, it's, it's not even – I'm not even arguing that. I'm arguing that this game is not a – I'm arguing that this game is not boring, which is what you said. You said this well, game was a boring game. Well, I mean – I disagree. I'm disappointed because I already I, I, LSU is not going to be in full strength, and you know what's going to happen yeah. here. I'm going to I'm going to warn everybody about this. If when UCF beats LSU, which I think is going to happen, you know what they're going to say. Well, yeah. LSU, LSU wasn't interested in this game. They didn't have a full strength team. They didn't really care about this game. You're going to hear the same rhetoric you heard last year in the Auburn game. So <laughs> it's Eric deja vu all over again. Uh, Eric, remind me, is is UCF missing anyone significant? Maybe a quarterback or something? Well, well, I'm glad you brought that up. See, now, the question there is, I agree with you, first of all. Yes. So I, I agree. I, I think this year the argument's not really valid. However, then those people that are still trying to make the argument, like Jeff, about making the playoff, then was not accurate. You can't have it both ways. You can't say, hey, we should have been in the playoffs, but then come back and say, well – we're shorthanded. We we're not as you know. We lost our star quarterback. I, I agree with you. I think you, I think the arguments on both sides. I think it's going to be a good game. I'm not saying that. I think it's fine. But I think you can't deny that there's a little bit of a disappointment 
because I think if you the majority of the fans would have preferred Florida. Um, and because Florida, and I'm going to say it, Florida ducked UCF in this. There's no question. I just mentioned it. Would it have not made more sense if LSU played Michigan in the Fiesta Bowl? UCF, Florida, I, I think everybody would have won. But clearly right. Florida right. ducked it. I mean, I don't know why people are Florida ducked it. They have a history. Everybody that's followed college football in this state knows that Florida ducks people. They've ducked the Miami Hurricanes for years and decades. They were forced by litigation to play Florida State. That's the only reason why they play every year is because litigation years ago stepped in and said, no, you have to play Florida State. So lawsuits do work is what you're saying. Well, maybe four years ago, first played an in-state team. Not in this case, they don't. But it's a joke. No one, but again, Eric, no one is arguing that Florida, Florida State would not have been a better game. I think everybody agrees with that. But the fact that, okay, so we understand that that's not a possibility because Florida is whatever they are. You want to, you want to call them gutless or whatever they duck. Yeah, I get it. Uh, But this game on its, on its own, on its own merits, this LSU UCF game on its own merit, I think is really attractive in the sense that people want to see a, this UCF offense again, go up against a type of defense. I understand a defense that will be missing three starters again yeah. as you po- as you pointed out i get this uh and, and as i uh, as i've pointed out you said we'll be missing a quarterback uh but still it's a really really solid defense even with the guys who are still there and it's still that LS- it's still that sec brand uh that people want to see ucf go up against and i think it, it's another proving ground for ucf and and maybe people maybe people never accept ucf for what they are because they always think they're 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 this team from a from a second rate conference or whatever but if you win this game, it can only help. It can only well, help, and I think there's a really good opportunity for that. Well, I, th- I think I-, I think the point that you make, though, Eric, is that LSU this year is effectively interchangeable with Auburn last year. Yeah, right. I, I think hear the same rhetoric. You're yeah. going to hear the same rhetoric. If UCF beats LSU, which I think they will. You're going to hear the same message. Well, LSU really didn't care. They you know, they they were with some yeah, of their those players three guys on defense NFL. were lead. You know, they didn't play. The one right. guy, the linebackers playing, but right. And whereas I think the Florida game, you would not have heard that because Florida hadn't played in a bowl game like this in a while. Now, look, LSU's had a great year, and they're going to say all the right things that they're going to be motivated. But I, I have skeptics, and I just don't want to hear. And we're going to be back to square one with the same negative. Well, this or that, and I don't think UCF's going to get a lot of credit even if they beat LSU. I well, I'm not so sure about that. I I, I think that you, if you do it twice in a row on that stage, I think UCF is gonna. There's going to be a little bit more credit given to UCF. I'm not saying that people are going to look at and be like, "Wow, you know, unbelievable." Right. I, but 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 you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I think that's that's the thing that comes out. It's going to be a noon kickoff, by the way, on New Year's Day. Well, Which one is o'clock Eastern or one, one o'clock? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, one o'clock. Yeah. Eleven a.m. in uh, Arizona, right? Yeah. Eleven a.m. Eleven eight. Eleven, 11 Mountain. Yeah. I'll be getting there around seven thirty in the morning. Yeah. Tail- oh, yeah. Man. Put some uh, put some Baileys in the coffee if you're tailgating out there. Um, the uh, yeah, I, I I still think, and and we'll, and we'll move out from this after this, but I still think that it's an interesting matchup it's just it really could have had had some additional intrigue for the fan base as if it was UCF against Florida remember UCF still has not played LSU ever um you know we have played Florida before but not for a very long time obviously um and they're an in-state I and I think that there is something to you know Florida not not wanting to potentially be embarrassed um, who was it? I think it was Dan Wolken. Forgive me if I'm wrong. Who, who said, 
you know, somebody asked him about it. They said, you know, well, think about it. if you're Florida, would you like for UCF to claim a second consecutive national championship by having beaten Florida? <laughs> Which, I, you know, whatever. I mean, UCF is not going to be ranked, I don't th- at least yeah, I don't think, but, number one I, I, in anything no. yeah, at the end of the year, one way or the other. But, um, you know, I, I, it's, it, I think that you're, at the very least it is an opportunity missed. It's pettiness, and that's the problem with this sport. You know, no matter what the topic is in college football, there's a lot of pettiness in there. I think, yes, I get it that Florida didn't want to run the risk of losing to UCF. Oh, how could you lose to UCF? Yeah. But that's the other. Said, but that's the other thing, though. Is like, why wouldn't LSU say the same thing? We don't want to play UCF. We don't want to lose to them. You know. Well, well I don't. I mean, they just got the draw. What, what makes that? Yeah, but what makes them so because special? Because UCF is not a recruiting threat to LSU as they are recruiting right. a threat right. to Florida. Correct. That's uh, Murph makes. It are we he's right sure on that. about he's correct that? Correct on that. Yes. Okay. Uh, yes. I mean, they recruit in Florida too. Is why I'm saying. Not Florida as much. Rec- uh, yeah. Florida recruits in Florida more than LSU recruits in Florida. Like yeah. Yeah. Well, they, well, I mean, go if you go look at the rivals rankings for any top recruit in Florida, chances are you're going to see both of those schools in the list of in in the list of offers. No, sure, but it's, yeah, about but- the, it's about the player. If the player is deciding between, if a player from Jacksonville or a player from Miami is deciding between Florida and UCF, you got a pretty strong data point to go off of. Mm, if UCF yeah. wins this game, well, well, yeah. In in terms of uh, okay, all right, I'll give you that one. I mean, I. <laughs> I, I I mean, I, I still think that a lot of the that that a lot of those sort of things in terms of decision points are a little overblown. Let's face it. Um, What's unfortunate about it is, if I was Florida, the perspective I would have had is, you know what? Yeah, let's play UCF because UCF's playing at the highest level they've ever played in their program history, and we're rebuilding with Dan Mullen. If we beat them while we're rebuilding, imagine how that would be as leverage. Instead of looking at it from a negative standpoint. Well, yeah, you you could have said you could have said if you're Florida, right? Okay, UCF, you think you're the new sheriff in town? Watch this, and if they win, and if they win the game, it's like, hey, sit your ass down, okay? We're 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 still in charge of the state, but but no, they they, petty people. Well, no, but that's where but that's where it ends up looking even worse for you for UF if they. Yeah, regardless of whether they actively or passively ducked the game, you know it, it's, it's, a, it, it, it's a cost-benefit analysis on Florida's part, right? It's cost-benefit analysis. It, they the, get the, their, what's disappointing is the stupid system allowed them to get their way, just like the SEC allowed Florida to get their way when they had their little schedule. Cause they cried about the schedule against LSU in the home and home. They, it's just I, pathetic. I, I, I mean, I still think the whole recruiting thing is a little overblown. I mean, like if if some kid wants to go to Florida, they're going to go to Florida. If some kid wants to go to UCF, they're going to go to UCF. And there, no kid is going to decide to go to one school or the other based on one game. And if they do, they're probably. You, I mean, Jeffrey, are you saying that doesn't help? If that doesn't help, then why do they? Why do? Why do I'm not saying no, no, no. I'm not saying it doesn't help. I'm saying it doesn't help as much as people think. But that certainly goes into the reason why Florida doesn't want to play this game. Correct. Absolutely. But let's not make it like kid. let's not make it, it like you know every every kid in every Florida commit is going to be like ah screw you guys I'm going to UCF now. You know? I'm not no. saying that. I'm not saying this, Jeffrey. <laughs> God darn it, Jesus! <laughs> wow. I'm just wow. I'm just I'm just saying that this could this, this certainly could help UCF in recruiting and hurt Florida in recruiting. Again, it's cost benefit analysis. The cost of UF losing this game 
is a hell of a lot more than the benefit of them winning this game because people should say, well, you should you should win it because you're Florida, whatever. And the, and the cost of it is 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 huge, gigantic. And I'm not saying every recruit that would go to, that would choose between those two schools would go to the school that wins, but you have to admit there 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 is a, a huge impact over that. I know. I know you won't. I'm okay, not. No, listen, no, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not saying there would not be an impact. I just think that the impact would be is a little overblown. Well, well but I think the coaching staffs would tell you if it affects one kid, that's a lot because one kid can make a difference. You don't know who that kid could be. It could be the next Blake Bortles. It could be the next whoever. Uh, so to Murph's point, it may not be like it's not every kid, and that's not what he's saying. Yeah, I mean that's fair. Water, if he affects one or two kids, that could be the difference in a recruiting class, as we know. Well, I mean, it, 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 of course, if it prevents you from getting the next, you know, Will Greer, okay, you know, but right, if it, right, but but if right. it's but if it's some kid who's going to be a backup corner for four years, I mean, maybe not. Wait, you know, I, it's 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 just so there's a lot of moving parts to that, and and I and you know, like when it when you break down the system like that, it's like yeah, I don't know. I, maybe I'm just. Maybe I just hate recruiting and I'm just skeptical of it all. Maybe that's the problem. Well, that's fair. I hate it as much yeah. as the next guy. But even I understand why. I mean, I've seen recruits on the field and, you know, they get coddled and, and all that. Which but re- I think we, you know, we all could agree what's disappointing is it's not Florida UCF. And it's one of the many issues with the bowl system. I do think LSU presents a nice game. I think it's going to come down to the line of scrimmage. Interesting to see how UCF matches up with LSU in the line of scrimmage because LSU is going to try to be physical. And maybe... Hopefully, UCF's defense will actually show up for four quarters instead of two quarters. Well, <laughs> uh, we we can know, go man. on and on about that. <laughs> At this point, like, isn't UCF like they are what they are, and they're sort of like that racehorse that always plays from the back, you know? <laughs> and just like they're just like you hold them back, you hold them back, and then like you hit that like that that mile and a quarter pole at like the Preakness, and then you just let it go. And then they, they sort of come back from seventh, and they win it, you know, by like a half a body length at the wire. Yep. I'm like, hey, I'd rather, I'd rather, I'd rather finish strong than start strong. That's the whole thing. I, <laughs> it's the um, boy that catches up with you. Maybe though. it, maybe yeah. it will, maybe it will. But you know what? So far, I think we've been doing okay. Uh, so, by the way, um, before we take a break, uh, I wanted to uh, pass along um, a little promotional note. Make sure, by the way, if you're looking for LSU news, hit up our SB Nation compadres at. And the valley shook.com. And the valley shook.com. They are SB Nation's LSU community. They've already got some UCF preview stuff up there. They've already called us the Golden Knights once. I get it. It's uh, than the Fiesta we've, give, we've given them the. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, at least they fixed that. But um, how does this keep happening? Can somebody email me, direct at me? Like, how does this keep happening? I, you, you know. I know why it happens with ESPN. I don't know why it happens with other schools. I, I really don't. But whatever. Um, so make sure you check them out. They got a lot of stuff up there. Prepare yourself. Um, it should be fun. It'll be actually nice to, you know, catch up with the uh, LSU uh, fans out there. You know, they I know they love their Tigers. I mean, we all know that. Oh, yeah. and, uh, Eric, you've been up to Baton Rouge for yes. a couple times. They love their t- I will say this. They're some of the most hospitable fans you'll ever see. They root passionately for their Tigers, which, I mean, that's cool. But you know something? If you go to, if you ever go to Baton Rouge or you, or you catch up with LSU fans anywhere, they'll talk about their Tigers and how much they think they're going to beat you and all that and the stuff. And then, they'll, and then they'll be like, hey, you want a bowl of gumbo? Here it is. 
and they're, not, uh, they're they're fantastic. Uh, it's the absolutely best fantastic. Ever had. Yeah, it, absolutely fantastic. So now they're very passionate. They might not agree with some of your stance. I'll give you that. That's but, fine. Uh, that's fine. They are. <laughs> I'll tell you this. I know Murph's going to enjoy them because that fan base loves baseball. They love college baseball. Murph, yeah. you want to talk some college baseball? Go hang out with LSU and the tailgating. Uh, but and, uh, and listen to them complain about Paul Maneri. Now, right? now, but well, well, you know how we know this, and you know how we know this, and we'll finish up with this before we take a break. LSU actually averaged more fans per game for baseball. More, they had a higher average per game attendance. LSU baseball did than the Miami Marlins did last year. Wow! Well, that's saying a lot. That's that is amazing. But it is is true, and it's it's funny because it's true. (laughs) Anyway, Fox baby, Alex Fox. I know, I know. All right, so let's uh, all right. Let's take a quick breather. When we come back. Uh, we will have uh, our, an interview I conducted back during the college game day visit with Chris Martin, former UCF offensive uh, offensive lineman, who's now at the Orlando Apollos, the, Amer- uh, the uh, Alliance of American Football. Um, he's got some quarterbacks now who he knows he'll be blocking for. Um, and it was great to catch up with Chris. It's kind of a, you know how we had our summer sessions, guys? Well, this will kind of be like a winter session um, as we're here in, in the middle of December. So, um, so we'll have that, and we'll also talk a little bit more uh, basketball and uh, volleyball, wrap up the volleyball season as well. Stick around. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is back after this. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by Orlando Homes Express, brokered by EXP Realty. Sam Unger and his team at Orlando Homes Express proudly serve Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties, specializing in buying, selling, and new construction. Sam is a very proud UCF graduate, class of 2006, and he's got a special deal going on right now for the 2018 UCF football season. Night fans, in honor of UCF's 25-game win streak, Sam is running a special for the whole month of December. If you use him as your realtor to buy or sell your home, you'll receive up to $2,500 at closing. So, if you're ready to buy a new home or sell your current home, upgrade or downsize, Sam and his team have you covered so you can find the right home at the right price in the right location. So give them a call right now at 407-790-9957. Again, that's 407-790-9957. Or visit them on the web at WeSellOrlando.net. Again, that's WeSellOrlando.net. You can also reach them on Facebook at Facebook.com slash we sell Orlando. Get in touch with the Orlando Homes Express today and make finding your dream home a reality. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Strelko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on. Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. All right, welcome back to the show. Jeff Sharon with you here along with Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy. Um, We just got done talking about the Fiesta Bowl uh, coming up with UCF and LSU and 
Um, you know, the last time you know, when UCF uh, first went to um, a big time bowl game, uh, our guest was actually on that team back in 2013. The last time they went to the Fiesta Bowl and the Knights beat Baylor. Uh, one of the offensive linemen for UCF was Chris Martin. Well, Chris uh, leapt into the NFL um, right after that. Bounced around with a few different teams. Had a couple different stints with the New England Patriots and the Buffalo Bills. Um, jumped up to the uh, CFL for a little bit. But along came the Alliance of American Football, the new uh, league with uh, eight teams that's going to be starting up uh, this um, winter. And, uh, and one of the teams is going to be in Orlando. Uh, and playing at Spectrum Stadium, uh, the Orlando Apollos, and Chris Martin was a regional allocation player to um, that team. He's originally from Fort Walton Beach, obviously played under George O'Leary at UCF, and he's getting a chance to extend his pro career uh, with the Apollos, as are a number of guys uh, from the UCF roster. Uh, uh, Storm Johnson, Ronell Hall, um, uh, Shaquan Burkett, uh, a number of guys actually formerly. I'm trying to pull up the list right here. There's a whole bunch of it's like nine guys. Um, who were formerly of uh, who were formerly with UCF, um, who are going to be playing back on their home field. So I've been hanging on to this interview for a little while here, and uh, because I was looking for the right time, and now I think is the right time to do it because the Apollos actually just unveiled their new uh, uniforms and helmet. Um, they kind of be like navy blue and burnt orange, which you know a lot of UCF fans are like, oh, Gator colors. Well, come on, man, just give me a break on that. Steve Spurrier's the head coach. Uh, and uh, they also just drafted their starting quarterback, who's a familiar name if you're an American Athletic Conference fan, Garrett Gilbert, who used to play uh, at SMU prior to that, was a quarterback at Texas. Um, and uh, he's also the son of Gail Gilbert, who played for the Buffalo Bills back in the day. Um, and also Justin Holman, by the way, who was a UC- who played at UCF, uh, was drafted in that quarterback draft that they had for the, for the Alliance um, by uh, the uh, Atlanta team, the Atlanta Legends, and he'll be playing behind Aaron Murray, formerly at the University of Georgia. But um, you know, a couple weeks ago, we talked to Chris Martin to kind of get the lay of the land of uh, you know what it was like at college game day and then talk about the alliance and all that. And uh, so here it is. So here's my interview with former UCF offensive lineman Chris Martin. All right, so I'm walking around here on campus, and look who I run into, the big guy himself, Chris Martin, former UCF offensive lineman, one of our most beloved players that we've had here in recent times. Looking good, man. Can you believe this stuff out here? No, I can't. That's why, actually, I had to park on the opposite side of campus just so I could walk through and just kind of take in all of this scenery. They didn't give you a parking pass up in here? I mean, I probably could have got one if I tried, <laughs> but honestly, I wanted to. I wanted to walk through the campus and just kind of reminisce and just see all like I just wanted to see the craziness that comes with college game day it's 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 unreal man all the support I can't believe it man so you played here for six years at a time when UCF was trying to make this transition you know we always thought that it could happen but as a player to see this as a former player what does it mean to you to see college game day put UCF on this national stage to me I feel like it's deserving for the guys of the work that they've put in you know we you know the guys like us that played in the Fiesta Bowl we like to think that we set the foundation for the national champions because those seniors were the freshmen that we took under the, our arms you know kind of taught them the way of how to win you know what I mean there's a way that you have to you have to learn how to win you really do and it seems like they've carried that on and to now be at this stage of the game, you know, it's just like UCF is like every other big name college, you know, just because, you know, we may have started in what, like 1963, I think they say is when yeah. the school kind of was founded. But now we're here at game day, you know, we're obviously the best game on television today. So it's like, hey, we're here, you know, you know our name. You know, I actually made a post on my Twitter just recently, like, look, you know who we are now. Like when I left, when I left to come to school here, my friends didn't know about UCF. They almost kind of mocked me because I had offers from Alabama and LSU and stuff. And so they kind of mocked me, but now I laugh 
at them. You know what I mean? And so now I'm the one that's laughing. You know, and I kind of said that on my Twitter the other day just because I love it because it's, they still, you know, want to talk all that mess to me. And I'm like, look, you can talk all the mess you want, but guess, guess what game day is. You know what I mean? They're here right on our front lawn right now. You know, I mean, you guys had such a great year in 2013 and 12 and 1. I feel like sometimes it's easy for some students, to, for some students, especially more recent students, and people to forget how good that season was and how close you came to being the first undefeated UCF team. Right. Oh man, we we still we still kind of you know nick and nag at each other about it because we were we were three points away from being undefeated and we got yeah. defeated by a Steve Spurrier, Jadavian Clowney, South Carolina team. You know what I mean? And we were also up 10 to zero in the halftime. We shot ourselves in the foot. You know, so we like to think that it should have been us being the person defeated, but it wasn't. It was the guys last year. You know, all the respect to them, and I know that they worked for it. I know that they earned it. Do I think that they could have beat our 2013 team? Absolutely not, but <laughs> but they're a very good team, and man, I'm proud of them. That was my next question. If we could somehow put it in Madden, right? 2013 versus 2017, how do you think it would go? It, I mean, honestly, they, they wouldn't stand a chance versus us. We were so <laughs> we were so powerful on offense and so powerful on defense that it wasn't they wouldn't be. I mean, they were a great team, don't get me wrong, and they still, they're a fantastic team, and I love to watch and play, but they wouldn't be able, first of all, they wouldn't have been able to have our own line. Our entire offense went to the NFL. You know what I mean? With regardless of our center who had medical injuries who couldn't, our entire offense went to the NFL. And so it's, you know, we were, we were a powerhouse. We really were. You and Blake, because Blake, I remember somebody asked him about it. He's like, we would have wrecked him. <laughs> oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, we would have made a heck of Blake a game because two different styles, right? Right, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Blake understands, you know, and we had we had great DBs, you know, we had great linebackers. We just had a, an overall really, really great team. And so I, I think it would be a good game. It wouldn't be any kind of a blowout, but I know that I know that we would have won number one because I know that up front, our offensive line would have dominated anything that they put in front of us. There was no team in the country that year that we wouldn't have been able to dominate up front, in which anybody who understands football, that's the key. You know what I mean? If, if, if your D-line and your O-line can dominate, that team's most likely going to win. Let's talk about you now. You're with the Orlando Apollos of the Alliance of American Football. Now you're going to be back playing at home at Spectrum Stadium once again. Tell me about the team. Tell me about what the experience has been, and you're going to be playing for Coach Spurrier now. <laughs> Ironic, right? The only guy that we lost to my senior year is the guy I'm playing for. Have you talked to him about that, by the way? Not yet. Oh, I'm that's probably going to be one of the first things I bring up when I actually sit down and talk to him. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's like a nail in my side for about my entire life. You know what I mean? I actually had a, a, one of those posters that had the schedule on it, and I kind of X'd off every team yeah. as we get. And there's one team, there's one team that has a circle. <laughs> and, yes. like, ah. and so, I mean, we'll, I mean, we'll talk about it. But, man, it's it really is a blessing to be able to, number one, play back in my stadium, but number two, still be able to play football at a professional level where, you know, every other every other professional kind of sports team, as in basketball and all that kind, they all have other leagues, you know. But in here, it was just the NFL. If, it's, if you didn't make the NFL, you were done. And it's so sad because there's so many really good players, you know. There's so many really good, and I know so many personally that should be 100% playing and are at home with a regular day job, and they shouldn't be. You know what I mean? They're great athletes. They should be playing. And so this league is giving so many people an opportunity to either try to go back in the NFL or just stay in this league and be a successful football player for the rest of your life. And plus, it keeps Americans back in America instead of the CFL. Yeah. So I went up there over the summer, and I was dominating up there, and I ended up injuring my dog on finger. Right? And that's yeah, there's, I'm actually looking at your finger right now. Goodness me. <laughs> and that's after surgery. Looks like you're, yeah, looks like you're growing another finger out of that finger. All right. So the league starts in February. Right, correct. And so we have a mini camp. We have a mini camp in December here, and then camp January. And then, yeah, the league starts February. But we get to play. And we're actually with the first game of the season here back at Bright House. Or I guess it's not Bright House anymore. Now it's Spectrum, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's. Times have changed. Oh, man. They changed <laughs> fast, right? Yes. And so, man, we're actually really excited. And I, I know there's several guys from UCF that I've played with and I know yeah. very closely that are going to be on the team. And so I know, I know this team's going to be successful because I know all the guys that are going to be there. So it's, I know you. 
you, obviously, but Storm is on the team. Rennell, Godfrey, Jordan Craig, Shaquan, and then uh, Tony Gerard is there, the D lineman. Yep. So there's like, I mean, that's at least seven or eight guys that I've played with personally that I know personally that are going to be right there with us. And so not only does that help the team, you know what I mean, but that's going to help the whole atmosphere of us being a family instead of just random guys yeah. coming in, you know. So we have, we already have a family bond. Like, I'll be playing next to Jordan McCray, which I played next to Jordan McCray for four years. So, yeah. You know what I mean? So him and I can communicate without even having to communicate. And so it's going to be, I think it's going to be something really special. It really is. And I'm so glad that we get to play back here at Spectrum and just bring football to the fans even after football season's over. You know, now they get to have the football win almost year-round. You know, it's an incredible, it's an incredible thing. It's an incredible thing to be a part of. And the reason I came to UCF was to be a part of first. You know what I mean? To be to be kind of laying the foundations to be, you know, I was part of the first bowl win. I started at left tackle as a redshirt freshman when we beat Georgia. First bowl win in history. You know, so I, I came here to be a part of first, and now I have the ability to be the first inaugural season of this Apollos team, man. And it's such a it's such a blessing. And I was actually just talking to another guy about if I would go back to the NFL if I had the opportunity. And I'd say, like, I'd, I'd really have to weigh the options. I really would, you know, because the only benefit for me would be more money. And I'm not about the money. I'm about this game. And so I'd really have to weigh my options about what I would kind of do. And so I'm just so excited to be playing at a professional level in my home stadium. Well, we're glad to have you back, and it's going to be good to see you out there. Now, I know you're going to be wearing navy blue and orange, which is going to be kind of weird. Kind of gatory, you know. Yeah. I, mean, I know Asperger probably had something to do with that. Probably. <laughs> Hey, whatever it is. I, hey, listen, man, we're looking forward to seeing you in February, and uh, it's going to be fun, man. Yeah, man, it really hey, is. Stay healthy, and we'll see you in February, all right? Yes, ma'am. Thank Chris you. Martin, you, UCF Offensive Line with the Orlando Apollos of the AAF. Where can people reach out to you, by the way? I have a Twitter, and I'm just I'm just kind of learning it, so I'm still kind of a rookie at Twitter, but I think it's... you got to give us a call. We'll help you out. <laughs> I, yeah, I I'm still learning, man. I'm not necessarily a social media guy, but that's, that's what I'm working on. Everybody's telling me I need to get better at it. So I'm trying to get better at this whole Twitter and tweeting thing. One day at a time, man. One day at a time. It's, it takes reps, just like just like playing online. Right. I'm trying. I'm trying. My guys kind of coach me through some things. So I'm learning. I'm getting better at it. All right, Chris. Thanks for joining us, yes, man. man. Enjoy the day. All right. Thanks again to Chris. Thanks also to uh, Al Lunsford of the uh, Orlando Apollos uh, for his help in rounding up Chris. I'm hoping that we'll actually be able to get a little bit more... Um, uh, a little bit more stuff with the Apollos going. By the way, um, they just also announced their uh, broadcast team. Did you see that, Eric? Yeah, Jamie Shea is going to be the play-by-play voice of WKMG. I spoke to her at the Magic game about it. She's excited, and she'll be working with Rini Angolia, my good friend, who yep. obviously does analyst work for the ESPN, is a police officer in Orlando, and then Jerry O'Neill. Yes, the stash. It's happening. <laughs> yeah, so uh, pretty big, pretty big step for them. Uh, to 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 get that broadcast, they'll be on. I believe Real Radio one hundred four point one will be their home there. So yeah, uh, yeah, it's going to be fascinating. And and what's interesting too this week, you noticed the XFL did not come to Orlando, and I think a big part of that is I don't think the XFL wanted to compete with the Apollos because I think the Apollos and I, I give the league credit for this. They want to be help the NFL yeah. get players, and I think the NFL in return will maybe help them in some ways and so i think that whereas the xfl is trying to be the alternative um so i i think it's a good deal there and with steve spurrier coaching there in spectrum stadium at the home games uh uh that's a pretty cool deal and it gives guys like chris martin and, and justin holman and other guys in the league they're going to be in the league opportunities yeah and chris talked about that in the interview too about how you know there's a bunch of guys who are kind of just in that gray area right and he's one of them that 
you know, but they need to, you know, if they get the chance to get some more reps, they could they could be good players. I think, you know, they. Um, by the way, the Apollos drafted for their quarterbacks Garrett Gilbert and Stephen Morris, formerly of the University of Miami, and um, Austin Appleby uh, as well. Some of the former UCF names around there. Storm Johnson is going to be a running back there. Jeff Godfrey and Rennell Hall on the receiving team are, are two of the receivers. Some defensive players in particular. Uh, Jordan McRae, by the way, is going to be there um, on that roster. Uh, let's see. We also have uh, Tony Gerard uh, is uh, on the defensive line as well. Uh, and uh, let's see. Drico Johnson uh, and, the def- and from the defensive backs. And, I, of course, we mentioned um, Jaquan Burkett uh, is going to be there too so and then a bunch of guys you know also from you know all the florida schools um as well a, a, a pretty solid i think a pretty solidly uh represented um uh, a, a pretty solid representation from ucf rather on this roster i like the fact the fact they regionalize it and like you mentioned eric this is run by nfl guys right yeah bill polian's running it they have a lot of former nfl players that are serving more or less on the board justin tuck troy polamalu are involved um, they have the AAF is not saying that it's a developmental league outright, but this really does feel like a developmental league, right? And yeah. uh, I think that's the I think that's the most important. It's been a long time coming. We've talked about this a lot, um, and I think it's going to happen. So their um, their first game is actually going to be the week after the Super Bowl. And it'll be televised on CBS. But you can also hear Jamie and and Rennie and um, Jerry O'Neill on the radio. So um, congrats to congrats to them as well. I, I'm so happy for Jamie. You know, I've known Jamie since I was an intern in grad school at WSYR in Syracuse. I've known Jamie say for a long uh, for quite some time, and I am so happy for her that she gets she gets this opportunity. She's she told me back then that she dreamt of doing you know professional football on play by play. She's a Syracuse grad. And uh, we've known her here at uh, in Orlando at Channel Six for um, a long time, and she's just she's like the nicest person you'll ever meet. And and the Apollos are very very lucky to have her, um, do, or, you know, captaining the ship, and it's well deserved for Jamie. So I'm really happy for her. Yeah, it should be fun, and we might have her on as well as Rainey throughout the season there, and uh, we're going to probably be covering their games yeah. with a lot of the UCF for players. We may have to, like, multiply Murph. I could see Murph just, <laughs> say, hey, just sitting, paying rent at the press box. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Why not? I, by the way, interesting uh, staff that Coach Spurrier has assembled, by the way. his uh, Willie Jackson, his um, former wide receiver for the Gators, is their wide receivers coach. Jim Jeffcoat, former NFL player. Donnie Abraham, former NFL player on the defensive side. And uh, Todd Washington, uh, formerly uh, of the uh, uh, former NFL player, also is on that staff um, as well. Played for the Buccaneers and the Houston Texans back in the day. All right. Uh, let's uh, move on. we got to wrap up uh, volleyball season, unfortunately. It makes me sad because um, they were in the first round. And Eric Lopez, you were right once again. Uh, I usually am. Yeah. <laughs> You, I'm glad you said usually. Um, the Knights uh, came up short in the first round of the NCAA at home, unfortunately, losing in five to uh, Florida Gulf Coast. And you called it, Eric, and I got to give you a ton of credit on this. You called it the group of death. Uh, and the combined record for the four teams in that region was 101 and 24. And, uh, you know, I mean, do the math. That's 25 wins and six losses to, on average for every team that was there. And let's give credit to Florida Gulf Coast. They came ready to play. It was the third time to, that these two teams had played. 
Um, it's hard to beat the same team three times in one season, man. It just is. And uh, But they were able to uh, pull it out. Um, one of the key things, I think, for UCF from that match, Eric, was um, Aaron Olsen did not play due, due to uh, an undisclosed injury. Um, which you could tell down the stretch, I thought that that really kind of, you know, they, they kind of missed her steady presence out there. But um, nonetheless, still, <laughs> you know, still had a chance in five. Jordan Pingle's career comes to an end uh, as she's the all-time leader in digs. And also she set the single season record uh, in that match as well. Um, some postseason awards, the AVCA recognized Jordan and McKenna Melville as all-region um, first teamers. And then also McKenna was named uh, American Athletic Conference Freshman of the Year and also uh, AVCA um, uh, Freshman Award as well. So Southeast Regional Freshman of the Year. So um, again, a, an amazing season for UCF comes to a really unfortunate end. But um, I saw some of the some of the highlights from the uh, the final practice that they did, um, which is a volleyball tradition. Even after they're done with the season, they have one last practice together. And Jordan Pingle, they she left her shoes on the floor, and there's a ceremonial passing of this sword, right, to the following year's seniors that she gets to do, um, and she managed and and she did that in that little ceremony, and that was that was cool. That's like, you know, someone get the onions out of the room, man. I can't handle it. Um, so uh, they they hit the off season again. This team is super super young. Um, you have to believe that they'll be back in the NCAA's in rather short order after a 27 and 4 season where they were 18 and 0 in the conference and the best thing is they get to, they can't take that away from them, those those championship rings so um kind of a sad end to the season but but what a what a year it was um yeah, it was it's just i mean you mentioned it they played Florida Gulf Coast for a third time and i thought Todd had an interesting post game comment first of all if we've learned anything, ladies and gentlemen, if Brian Murphy is at a UCF volleyball match, it's going five sets. Let's just guarantee that right now. True. He yeah. was at Cincinnati <laughs> match and the Florida Gulf Coast, and they both went five sets. Yeah. I don't know, Jeff. Was that the only two five-set matches they had at home all year? I don't know. You can look that up. But I thought Todd had an interesting comment where he said he thought Florida Gulf Coast benefited from playing in the A-Sun tournament, which was a single elimination tournament, whereas UCF did. What was your reaction to that comment? My reaction to it was, well, it's. It, I, it, it, I think that that is fairly interesting. Todd and I have always, ever since I've known him, we've always talked a lot about, you know, which um, do should we have a tournament? Should we not? I've always thought yes, we should because if the Americans going to be a one bid league, at least you could probably get two teams in if, if someone other than your bona fide one seed wins it. He's like, nah, man, I want everyone to ha- you know make the committee's decision hard and have you know, half the teams win on the final weekend. I was like, okay, that's fine. Now, I've come to find out that we are going to have an American, at least there are reports that we're going to have an American Athletic Conference volleyball tournament starting next year. Um, And, you know, now I I don't know what the format's going to be. I don't know what the, you know, how many teams are going to put in, when they're going to play it or all that kind of stuff. But that to me is a pretty interesting um, decision that they're trying to make, and I'm and I think that's much to some coaches' chagrin. I know there's a lot of division within the conference about that, but um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I can see where that I, I can see where Todd's coming from that, but I will say also that you know UCF still had a few matches to play to sort of wrap up the conference there towards the end. I mean, it wasn't like 
it, it wasn't like the matches they were playing toward the end of the season were not significant. Certainly, um, I just think the I just think the problem was UCF was banged up, and Florida Gulf Coast they came ready to play. They were healthy. Well, and it was the third time you were playing the same. Yeah, team. I mean it that's looked, hard. It, there was no secrets it, there. <laughs> it, well, that's the thing. It looked to me like Florida Gulf Coast knew what was coming. And yeah, it's hard. It, uh, you know, Florida Gulf Coast obviously improved. Not that UCF didn't, but you know, right. Uh, so that was tough. I don't know, to be honest, if it would have mattered because the way Florida played that weekend, I think Florida was going to beat everybody. <laughs> so, yeah, no, they, well, they, know, they really took care of business against against Florida Gulf Coast. That's that's kind of you know kind of unfortunate for Florida Gulf Coast too. But Florida, I think, was you know at the end of it, man, it would have been nice to see a rematch between UCF and Florida one more time, especially after the the that that match against Florida. By the way, that UCF lost up in Gainesville, that was their last loss of the season yeah. prior to that. That final September, match, right? On September 2nd. Yeah, it was the Jeez. day before Labor Day. Think about that. Ugh. But, um, but yeah, and I mean, getting, and get, get, getting, though, getting to see that, uh, that Florida team uh, in action the following night against FGCU, they, 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 they weigh good. Yeah. They weigh they, good. They good. Well, they were in the national runners up last year. And, yeah. I mean, they have one, they have one girl who's 6'8 in the middle. I mean, come on. Six. They had. I think they had. What? What, what was it, Murph? Two other. Two other players who were six six. They have a six eight, a six seven, and a six six. They have Come a freshman who came back from a month injury who was six four. Um, they're, and they're not. Even, and those aren't even their best players. Though some of them are. A couple of them definitely are their best players, but they are deep and yeah. uh, and they're not just big up front. They don't block you all the time. Like the way they the, the FGCU coach said after their match the following night, like. They, Florida sets really well. They use their size really well to set better than you'd think they would set. Mm-hmm. And you know, they, they, if, if they are going to go really, really far. Yeah, that's interestingly enough. UCF has you know two sisters who serve as their setters, right? The Olsen sisters. Well, so yeah. does Florida. <laughs> they have um, Allie and Marley Monsere, who are their two setters, and um, and both of them were sublime in the tournament. Um, Thayer Hall. Um, you know, I thought also played particularly well, and uh, and tremendous credit as well. To, I thought Paige Hammonds was the best player of the regional, and yeah, uh, she was just outstanding. So, um, you know, and uh, and also I, now here we are talking Florida. I wanted to give some credit to um, to Florida Gulf Coast as well. Courtney Van Lu, who is just outstanding all season for them. Um, you know, the, one of the coaches for FGC who told me after the match, he's like. You know we're a one-trick pony basically, but we had it work. But we had it working tonight, and he was right. She had a spectacular match against UCF. Um, but also, I think you got to give credit to Dana Axner, who's their um, who, who was their uh, libero, who is a high school teammate of Allie Sables at in Dublin, Ohio. UCF's Allie Sable, and um, Dana was uh, she she was everywhere where she needed to be on the floor she seemed you know she was almost like a miniature jordan pingle out there if you will um and she was fantastic too so credit to florida gulf coast credit to ucf todd dagenay on another i mean uh, what a year what a year i mean it's such a bummer in a one one match situation that it turns out like that but you know there were three good teams three really good teams that ended up going home from that group of death as you as you called it eric um and ucf just happened to be one of them i think i i think that UC, both, I think UCF, Florida Gulf Coast, and UF were all good enough to get to the second weekend, possibly even longer. Um, and 
it, it just it just worked out that way. Uh, it's it's a bummer, but um, but wow, what a uh, what a year that the, that UCF volleyball has had, and it's only going to continue to uh, to get better. Florida, interestingly enough, they're still alive in the tournament, and they will play uh, BYU. Uh, who are they undefeated this year? They play them Friday. Um, BYU volleyball. Let me look that up real quick. But <laughs> I know they're the four seed. Five internet searches on podcasts. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well. Look. I mean, it's it's not they all of us. Twenty six and zero. Yeah. Twenty six and zero. So, well, actually, they're listed uh, twenty nine and one. Twenty nine and okay. one. Uh, where was the loss? Who did they lose to? Oh, uh, Loyola Marymount in the in the. Um, their last match of the regular season. Wow. Yeah, okay. that that helped Loyola Marymount get into the tournament over uh, Kansas and Kansas State. Yeah. And they got swept in that match. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, hey, credit to LMU. Credit to uh, Florida. It should be fun seeing this go the rest of the way. I wouldn't be surprised to see Florida in Minneapolis in the Final Four when all is said and done, to be honest with you. So, all right. Hoops. A uh, little bit of like a, like, like a scant schedule right now uh, for both Hoops teams. Um, we'll talk about the men's. They suffered a heartbreaking loss um, at Mizzou uh, on uh, on December the second. Um, mm-hmm. They had this game, and seven tenths of a second to go. Mizzou hit. Well, well I'll, I'll leave it to you, Murph. Yeah. How did they? How did this happen? So uh, I want to say I watched this game from the comforts of Burger U. Uh, after we talked to the players, because it was Selection Sunday for the Bulls, and we talked to the players afterwards, and then we, I went to the on-campus bar to watch this game. And uh, this is a game, obviously, that UCF uh, should have won in about three different ways, uh, <laughs> all within the last two minutes. Uh, so basically, just to reset, at the two-minute mark of the second half, uh, around that point, uh, B.J. Taylor hits a three. Uh, excuse me, and it was Terrell Allen who hit a three. Uh, they put the use put use up by three with a minute minute twelve to go. Okay, they have the ball with uh, forty seconds left as a phone goes off during the podcast. <laughs> and they're, they're, they have, they have the it's ball. It's blowing up. Seconds. It's softball Woj is at it. Anyway, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, it's softball Woj. UCF basketball has the ball with about forty seconds left, up by three. It was a bad pass turnover on an inbounds. I think from Dayon Griffin. Uh, the the box score says Aubrey Dawkins, but I'm pretty sure I watched it and said it was Deion Griffin. That turned into a layup that cut the score from 55-52 to 55-54. Yeah. But Memphis Memphis turned it back over, and then uh, – or excuse me, uh, UCF turned it back over on a shot clock violation. Uh, which you is just, just like, got, you know, what okay, are you doing? Get a shot off, seconds right? left, and then, Yeah, just get a shot off. But fortunately – there was a five-second violation from Memphis on an inbounds. You mean Mizzou? So UCF got the ball. UCF had the ball again. They got they got two free throws from Aubrey Dawkins. They were up by three with twelve seconds left, and Memphis comes down. And if you just look at the box score, Memphis comes down, hits a miracle free. You, you mean you mean Mizzou, not Memphis? Missouri, yeah, Memphis. Sorry, I got football in the brain here. Yeah, Missouri, Missouri, <laughs> Missouri. I'm really flustered by this basketball game. Missouri comes down, hits a three pointer to tie it, but. The worst thing about that three is that UCF had five team fouls. They, why, why don't you foul? You had a foul to give. Right. You foul at like the two second mark or three second mark and make them reset out of bounds. Uh, they didn't. They let it. They let it ride. And uh, Jordan Geis made a really fairly miraculous three pointer from the top 
to tie it up. They went to overtime, and and Memphis won yeah. in overtime in a, in a close game. But UCF should have won this game if not for the bad bad inbounds pass turnover at fifty five fifty two, if not for the shot clock violation, and if not for the missed opportunity to foul in the last seconds, uh, they should have won this game. And, and all three of those things came together that, that led to this loss. That's a bad loss. You know, I, I, I don't know how I feel about the whole fouling when up three thing, and I'll tell you why. No. But they had a foul to give. I, I I know I know I know. But but here's but here's the thing. You could you could in theory foul them again. Just foul them until the clock runs out. But the problem is, how many times have we seen teams like turn around and throw up a three, and then they call the foul, but they call it a shooting foul, right? That's the that's sort of where I'm kind of like I don't know. I mean, if your defense is good enough, you should be able to force them into a bad shot at that point. I I, I just. I don't know. I, I keep I keep thinking about like the, the strategy behind that, and I just can't. I, I I can go either way on it. I guess is what I'm saying. It wasn't a good. It wasn't a good shot either. It was a rush shot with the time ticking off. But uh, but the fact I, I just I you know even if they had 17 fouls and if they fouled and they go into a one and one, uh, I don't know. I would have more more of a debate there. I mean, but you had a foul to give. Just foul foul in the back court with like six seconds to go. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's it, it's it's kind of hard to. It, it's it's such a it's a heartbreaking loss, really. I mean, because it, that would have been a really good road win, especially after beating Alabama as they did by six at home. Um, which and then you go on the road, and then that happens. I mean, and let's give credit to UCF where credits due. I mean, they kind of held Bama at bay, so. I, I, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like these two losses because UCF men's basketball right now is at six and two. I, you know, overall, I mean, not bad. But these two losses to FAU and then to Mizzou are just like missed opportunities because they basically both happened at the buzzer. Yeah, no, and it's not only like that. Like they're not great losses either. Missouri's not going to be a good team in the SEC. Yeah. Uh, and, well, they've been saying FAU is not going to be good, but but what's their record right now? I think they're actually. Actually, I think they're not that bad. I'll double check, but go ahead. Right, wait, wait until they get in the conference. Uh, both those, both those losses are not going to be good. Uh, it's, it's, it, this team should be eight. No, this team should be eight. No, yeah. And they've, they had both games easily. To, uh, less than six to go against FAU, up by ten, they blow it, and then up by three with less than a minute to go, and a couple different times they could have closed that game out. And they didn't yeah. against Missouri. I think I said Memphis again. What do you, what do, you do? Is there, is there like a flaw here, like a late game situation flaw with the team, or is it just bad luck? Well, uh, certainly in the Missouri game, it did seem like all of a sudden they went back to like, if it's not Aubrey and if it's not BJ, they really don't know what they're going to do offensively. Uh, you saw that in the shot clock violation possession with 40 seconds to go. You know, we've we've seen this team be more ver- versatile and more varied offensively this year. But in these late game situations, they do seem to the ball seems to stop moving. Yeah, and um, that can't happen. And it, you know, they're reluctant to get it to Taco because he's such a bad foul shooter. If he's even out right. there at that point, he was not. He was he was switched out uh, often. Uh, during those last couple minutes, because yeah. yeah, I think he's shooting twenty seven percent from the free throw line. See that? See that? Um, to me, that's where the flaw is, because you want to have him out there in defensive situations, but because he's such a poor foul shooter, th- th- that they're reluctant to put him out there. I mean, how how beneficial would is it when you need a hoop to just throw it to your seven six guy? You know what I mean? Right. Offensively, he like they were able to to sub him in a couple times because Missouri. 
uh, took a timeout, and yeah, the UCF turnovers actually allowed you allowed Taco to get back on the floor before they had defensive setups. Uh, so he was out there for de- defensive purposes, but he was always subbed out offensively. Um, the, the fact is that BJ Taylor again did not have a very good game. Uh, he would two for ten from the floor, one of seven from three. Uh, Aubrey was very good. Other than that. Uh, there really wasn't much offense and uh, this team needs to be better than that in late game situations and just smarter like the the bad pass inbounding with, with a minute to go was just was ridiculously stupid and again I know we disagree on this but when you've got a foul to give there's you give it you give it with yeah with, you know six seven seconds left eight seconds left because they're not gonna they're not gonna throw it over from half court they're just not and just make them reset yeah. and um, well I mean I don't know if we agree with it or not it's hard for me to say. We don't agree. We don't agree. Me and you don't agree. Well, we might agree. I just I haven't thought about it yet. Well, I thought about <laughs> it. And, well, no, no, no. I should, actually, no. I take that back. I have thought about it. I have not reached a conclusion. All right. Well, this team should be eight zero going into this Saturday's game against Grambling, but I, they're not. I think you're right. That's that. Well, that's what hurts. That's true. The other thing that the other thing that hurts is Alabama just lost at the buzzer to Georgia State, so we don't even know yeah. how good of a win that even is. Uh, hopefully it is, but it isn't. But yeah, I mean it's a lost opportunity because really you look at the rest of the non-conference. Maybe Illinois State, but there's not much else there that's going to impress as far as the resume. Now you know you got to do well in the conference, and that'll take care of itself. But uh, I, I understand Murph's frustration. You, that's one that you really needed to get there, and uh, boy, you hope that doesn't come back to haunt you come March. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean that's that's the part that we're just going to have to. Uh, wait up on so all right let's uh i wanted to talk about women's basketball because here's a team that's not having trouble closing out opponents <laughs> right now um they're six and one um by the way uh men's basketball their next game is against grambling at home they got their next one two three four five five at home uh by the way yeah. next game is against grambling on saturday at one followed by georgia southern tuesday uh, at seven, uh, and uh, yeah, so apparently tickets are still available because it's winter break, and and you know attendance, basketball attendance is a problem for everybody over winter. But anyway, um, over the women's side, they got back into action after uh, a- after a solid uh, five days off. They played Chattanooga at home on uh, Friday, the thirtieth, and well. To say that they played Chattanooga is kind of a is kind of a euphemism because they beat the ever loving tar out of Chattanooga. Um, interestingly enough, Chattanooga led this game by seven in the uh, in the first. They led fourteen twelve after one. In the middle two quarters, UCF outscored Chattanooga thirty eight to nine. They outscored them fifth. Excuse me, forty four to ten. Uh, at one point, or excuse me, forty-six to ten, I should say. Um, in route to uh, in route to a seventy-five to thirty-seven uh, victory, everyone got in the game for UCF. Uh, leading score, uh, four nights were in double figures. Leading score was KK Wright, eighteen points on seven to ten. Masni Kaba was excellent, thirteen points and seven rebounds. Uh, on five of seven from the field, Kayla Figpen came off the bench to score ten. Siani Martin came off the bench to score ten. Um, this was a uh, this was a, a destruction of epic proportions. They held um, Chattanooga in the middle two quarters to just 
four of 18 from the field. And actually, they, they actually Chattanooga scored, uh, made only eight baskets in the final three quarters. Um, yeah, it was just an impressive performance. I know it's against Chattanooga and they're not very good, but you know, you're supposed to do t- things like that to teams like that. And, um, next, uh, two are on the road Sunday at Delaware, Wednesday, December 12th at Duquesne before they come back home for Pacific on Monday, December 17th. But right now, UCF women's hoops, uh, is six and one, and they're off to a pretty good start, uh, so far in this non-conference schedule. But I think it comes back to, you know, overall defense and, you know, Murph, we've seen a little bit of this too, as well. And, and Eric to KK Wright has just developed into what for my money the best point guard in the American tell me if I'm wrong well I think people in stores Connecticut might disagree with that they have a pretty good they disagree themselves. with everything they can go away unfortunately they don't they they just crushed Notre Dame but outside let's That's just awesome. leave it outside of <laughs> if you put as I like to say the American conference outside of UConn you can make that argument outside of UConn if we eliminate UConn which they should because UConn's in a different league and a different level I would say yeah I think she's played at a very high level and I think that's the encouraging thing they've got depth they've got good point guard play and they could defend and I think they're off to a good start in the non-conference and uh, give them some confidence when they get into conference play because I do think this team feels I, – I think they, what's going to be fascinating is I think they could challenge South Florida for second place in the American with all due respect to everybody else in the league. The question is have they narrowed the margin, the gap, between South Florida and UCF for second. Jose Fernandez has done a great job there. They've been the second-best program in the league. And has UCF narrowed that gap? I think is what's going to be fascinating, and I think it's the storyline this year in the possibly being in second place because uh, if you get to second place, maybe third place, you could get to the NCAA tournament. So uh, that's what I mean, and certainly the depth they have, the size they have uh, would point to possibly the answer being yes, but we don't know that yet. We'll see how they finish up here in the non-con. Yes. Yeah, I I think you're right about that, and I think that um, in addition to that, I mean, this is going to step up, obviously, once we get into conference play. But, I mean, the thing is that every, I love how everyone's like, oh, well, they don't, um, you know, they haven't played anybody yet. It's the same argument we hear in football. I'm like, but they're doing what they're supposed to do to those teams. You know, that's the thing. So, I wouldn't, I'm not going to get on their case too much. Um, their next games, you know, like we mentioned, they got, um, they're not going to be back home until December the 17th. But you can keep an eye on them as we roll through the uh rest of the schedule all right so let's wrap this thing up here boys uh with um well we got some time there's no football to be had for a while (laughs) um the schedule's kind of uh flattened out with uh basketball coming up but we do have a little bit of uh news don't we eric lopez the softball schedule's out yeah softball schedule is out they'll have 33 home games this year they will open on thursday february 7th against Ole miss they will host minnesota and ohio state the opening weekend they go up to Mexico the second weekend for the Puerto Vallarta tournament where they will be playing the likes of Washington, for example. That's the headliner in that weekend. Uh, other notes, they got Florida State for two home games this year. Uh, it's a Sunday, Monday in early March. That's huge. They go to Florida. So they got some nice, tricky uh, non-conference schedule, especially early on. So uh, Cindy Ball and the group, we'll see. They start off February 7th, and I know I speak for Mirth. Uh, for Murph to say, uh, I can't wait. Let's just get the softball and baseball season going, right? All right, right, Murph. Let's go. I mean, we, yeah, <laughs> football season. As far as I'm concerned, football's done. Let's move on. Let's go to baseball and softball. Let's go. Spring. 
MLB Network is on every day now at my house. Oh my god! Uh, this will this will not this will not stop until uh, the until November of next of next year. Well, I'm glad uh, I'm glad to, it's that up. and not WWE Network. Speaking of baseball and wrestling, by the way, <laughs> Greg Greg uh, Greg Lovelady Murph uh, was a top uh, was listed as one of Baseball America's top uh, coaches under the forty. Top is coach, that right? The top coach under forty, according to Baseball America. Yes, the top coach under 40, according to Baseball America. Uh, by the way, I was just looking at the baseball schedule, and I, I feel like, gentlemen, I, I might have a decision to make uh, right. this February. This February, uh, Wednesday, the 27th of February. Uh, I, you know, I'm looking at going to some basketball road games this year. I, I think I'm going to go to the Houston basketball road game on March 2nd. But before that game, basketball is at South Florida. They're in Tampa against the Bulls. Uh, that's on Wednesday, the 27th at 7 o'clock. That same night, baseball is at Florida in Gainesville. Wow. So which of those two games, which of those games do I have to go to? I, I, I'm pretty sure I have to go to U, U, baseball against Florida. I don't but know, man. I mean, you got to flip the coin on that one. If basketball is rolling through conference and they're looking really strong, as they should this year, maybe that USF game is, you know, is, is and that's only, you know, about two weeks until the end of the regular season for basketball. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Anyway, and that and that leads to that that Florida game for baseball leads in right after the the Auburn series. Uh, so it's a fun it's a fun week for UCF baseball. Gosh, it's going to be a fun week for us. I know that. Um, well, based on your history <laughs> with the city of Tampa, every time you've traveled, Murph, maybe uh, baseball is the route to go in that one. It probably is because <laughs> I, I can't I can't escape Tampa without either getting a flat tire or a, or a ticket or something. Stay, the, Although, stay the hell away from Tampa. <laughs> Although yeah. is it isn't Yankee spring training like going on right around that time? Like you could do yeah, a double yeah, dip I mean, there, right? It's it's right in the neighborhood of uh, it's right past it's right behind Raven James Stadium. I should have dipped by there uh after the USF game in football a couple weeks ago, but I did not. Are the Yankees gonna do anything in the offseason here? I mean are they just gonna let everybody <laughs> else like are we gonna do anything? Just, yes. Know. Yes, they will be they they will do things. Things will happen. <laughs> yes. Uh. I can I'm just. Confirmed. I just want to get I through can, the. I just want to get through the next month. That's all I want to do. <laughs> I can tell you Why? that John. I can tell you that John Denton, by the way, the Magic is, is a diehard Cardinal fan. Is fired up about Paul Goldschmidt. It's very fired. I am up. not. I am not loving that trade, but good <laughs> on him. That's great. That's great. Um, let's wrap this thing up. We're going to start our LSU preview stuff probably this week a little bit. Uh, Luke Saris has got some, Savage Luke Saris has got some stuff for you. Um, coming up later this week, I know uh, Brian and Eric. You guys will both be doing uh, the. We'll, we'll we'll both be uh, getting some stuff ready, prepared for the bowl. Um, and Eric, you got another good piece on the good TV numbers from the uh, from the conference championship. Not bad numbers, considering they were going up against the most watched college football game of the year on Saturday. Yeah. And one of the most watched games in the last decade, uh, Alabama, Georgia, uh, 17 and a half million people watched that game, which Gosh. myself, mm. which was incredible. What a classic game that was. And, you know, but the good news for the American is despite that, they only dropped about uh, 9% and 2% as far as ratings and viewership compared to last year's game. So their numbers are still respectable. Uh, 3.2 million viewers watched the uh, title game. That's pretty good because I had concerns when I heard about the SEC number and the way the Alabama-Georgia game turned into a classic. I'm like, oh, boy, is anybody watching the American Conference well, Championship? Well, well interestingly, though, I, I, thought that the, I thought that the plot of the two games benefited UCF because 
when UCF started making their comeback in the second half, UCF's game started a half hour earlier than the SEC championship. So when UCF started making their comeback and the drama was starting to build, that was when Georgia was starting to pull away from Alabama. And that game was starting to look like a bit of a runaway at one point. And then by the time UCF had sealed it effectively, that's when Alabama started making their comeback. So if you're talking about like channel flippers, you know, I, I oh, think I that, that kind of worked out. Helped. I think you're right. I think the channel flip helped. And all right, I'm going to give credit to Mike Oresco since I know it's the cool thing to just rip him now for any little detail because apparently it's his fault that UCF's not in the playoff. Apparently because he doesn't speak up, even though no other conference commissioner, by the way, speaks up on anything. Like Jim Delaney who the Big Ten champions missed the playoff the last three years, he's cool with it. He doesn't say anything, but yet Mike Oresco has to speak up to make a difference. But whatever. Um, the American Conference Championship game was on ABC the last couple years. The Mountain West Championship in comparison, which I will be – let's be honest. If we're really objective, had a better game. Like Fresno State, Boise State, two top 25 teams – that's probably a better – it was a better game on paper yeah. than the American Conference. Well, also, also, I watched that game. It went to overtime. I watched that game in the snow yeah. in Boise. Well, I'm glad you did. It was on ESPN. Got, not many other people did because it was about a million viewers watched that game because everybody was watching the Big Ten or the ACC. My point is, like, the American has – UCF's benefited from getting some good time slots that they would not have gotten either in Conference USA or the Mountain West. And I pointed that out in the article – UCF has had a lot of now like UCF's helped the American too because obviously UCF brought a lot of attention but let's you know I know everybody's bashing Oresco and everybody's doing this about the league and everything can you imagine five years ago six years ago UCF ever being on ABC period unless they were playing a marquee opponent uh so let's let's keep that in mind in perspective I think we've lost perspective on that they've been fortunate they've gotten some tremendous time slots uh in part because of the American Conference TV deal, and hopefully they'll get a better deal as we move forward. But uh, you know, let's let's say for I think the American has certainly uh, separated themselves from the rest. That's why they are the Power Six, and uh, you know, I think it was a very positive number, all things considered. I think ESPN put them on that slot on purpose to see how they would fare against stiff competition. And I think if you're the American, I think you held your own. Yeah, I, I think that was probably. I mean, aside from obviously from UCF winning, that was the most encouraging news of the entire um, weekend was how that worked out. So, and now I'm interested to see what the TV numbers do for the uh, for the Fiesta Bowl early. Like like you said, early kick on New Year's Day, kind of a bummer. I still think that it's not going to overtake the Baylor game um, from 2013 no. because no. that game was on prime no. time. Um, I don't know how it's going to do compared to the Peach Bowl last year. It might be close. I'm not 100 percent sure. I think it's similar to the last year's Peach Bowl. Uh, the thing that might hurt it a little bit, it's not going – it's not the lead-in into a playoff game. It's good yeah. now, although it is the lead into the Rose Bowl, uh, which is not a slouch. But I don't uh, – you know, it's not going to be the lead into a playoff day where a lot of people planned around that. It's not going to come close to the Baylor numbers because, I mean, they're going – again, for the second year in a row, they're going up against the Citrus Bowl. Penn State and Kentucky is the ABC game. There's an Outback Bowl. I believe on ESPN too. So they're actually going up against multiple games. Not to mention there's a hockey game, I think, going on that day. So there's stuff going on around that time slot. Yeah. So the question will be how do they fare? 
compared to Auburn. Now, the good news for them, though, is LSU is a huge, huge TV brand. New Orleans will be the number one market for this game as far as tuning in more than likely. So I think it'll be close to the Peach Bowl numbers. It could come down to how the game plays out and, and things like that. Yeah. Well, we'll be keeping an eye on that. Make sure you check out our updated uh, table of UCF's all-time uh, television uh, ratings yep. history, uh, which is uh, part of Eric's article there. Also, uh, Brian, you've got an article up on uh, Coach O and LSU. They're saying that they're going to be motivated. Do we believe that? I mean, go Tiger. Go Tiger. Go Tiger. <laughs> I'll tell you what, the real MVPs in Arizona are going to be the are going to be the professional transcriptionists who are on site <laughs> to transcribe those Coach O press conferences. Uh, I mean, we already talked about this during the show. Is like the two the two things that. LSU fans slash UCF haters are going to latch on to if, if LSU loses this game is that one they weren't motivated or two they were under they were under uh, they were they were shorthanded they were they were understaffed damned uh, if you do damned if you don't I mean and so I basically I wrote an article on that <laughs> basically Coach O was asked directly about his team's motivation heading into this game um, and then I'm also currently working on something else we, we just talked about during this uh, show about how UCF won the AAC championship through just better coaching uh, in a blowout, um, especially in the That's, second half. And, well, that was and very not, clear. <laughs> and not just, and not just uh, what Norvell didn't do in that one instance where he threw on third and goal from the two. Uh, and then, and like his failure in that second half goes beyond that. Uh, and I'll point <laughs> that out. And yeah. I mean, also, you got to give credit to Josh Heupel, uh, and I'll, I'll do that as well. And then I'll be at the basketball game on Saturday to see if the Knights can uh, rebound from uh, another should-have-won, did-not-win game uh, against them. They'll play Saturday against Grambling. Yeah. And we've also got uh, a couple of other things on the homepage. Well, you had another story on the all those stories from Saturday's American Athletic Conference Championship coming out of UCF. Luke Saris has got you know, a look back on, really, when you think about the last – 30 months for UCF has just been uh, truly remarkable. And we've got a bunch of other stuff coming your way as well um, in the coming uh, days and weeks as we head into, uh, as we head through the month of December. All right, let's wrap this up. Thanks again uh, to uh, all of you who uh, who have been listening. Thanks also to Chris Martin uh, of the Orlando Apollos and uh, Al Lunsford as well for their help with their interview. Uh, thanks to everyone with the American for helping us out. Um, you know, Chuck Sullivan, who is just uh Tremendous, um, as usual. Uh, Tom Ojekian as well uh, from the American. You've helped us out uh, all week with our coverage of the American. Thanks to all the guys uh, and gals from UCF for uh, for their help uh, as well in terms of media relations and keeping us updated on everything uh, as they do. Andy Seely and Dan Forsella and everybody. Um, just tremendous, tremendous job by all of them. And, uh, and I want to thank uh, uh, Ian McDougall as well for his help with uh, volleyball too. Uh, thanks uh, also to uh, our friend Sam Unger for uh, his sponsorship of our podcast as well. Uh, you can check him out at uh, uh, WeSellOrlando.net. And thanks to you guys, Brian and Eric. Okay. Uh, what? Are we signing off? Is this the end of the podcast? Is this the last podcast we're going to have? Yeah. Wow, well, no, it's not, the, it's not the last podcast. We're going to have another one next week to talk basketball and probably some other <laughs> stuff. But, uh, but it, well, I mean... All, all, all of these thank yous feels like we're like saying bon voyage. No, I'm just trying to be... I'm into the holiday spirit now. I'm trying to be a little bit more, you know... 
a, a little bit more generous in my thanks to everybody on all these kinds of things. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I never thank enough people during the regular podcast, but thanks to you guys as usual. I will send out another thank you to a person you already thanked. I will thank Ian McDougal again uh, because I have been, I wouldn't say clamoring, but I have been wanting more <laughs> KZ for Heisman lays. If you remember back early in like August when we went to AAC Media Days, uh, with, they had the KZ for Heisman campaign and they had a lay that they made with a little pen, KZ for Heisman. I, I still have mine, by the way. Correct. So I had given all mine away uh, to friends and family because it was really cool. And even though the 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 obviously the the advertisement for Casey's Heisman campaign uh, doesn't exist anymore, the lays still exist. And so uh, when I arrived Saturday for the championship game, I had a bag underneath my seat in the press box of about twenty lays uh, that Ian had put together and given to me. And so I'm very happy now that any, if anybody wants a Casey for Heisman lay, uh, hit your boy up. <laughs> I, I got them all now. <laughs> And uh, by, the way, by the by the way, speaking of the Heisman, a little UCF note on this: if Kyler Murray, who is one of the three finalists alongside Tua and uh, Dwayne Haskins of yeah. Ohio State, if Kyler Murray wins the Heisman Trophy, it'll be the second athlete ever to win the Heisman Trophy to play at UCF in baseball on campus at the the stadium uh, that uh, what do you call it now, the John? Uh, Mer- it's, is that what it's, we call it? the jo- it's the John. It's the John Juliano Park, but it's the <laughs> John. So Kyler Murray, who played this off in May when Oklahoma played UCF in a three-game series and actually dominated the series, I'll defer to Murphy on that. Best would player be, on the field, bar none. Would be the second Heisman Trophy winner to play UCF in baseball, uh, joining Jameis Winston, who played here when Florida State played UCF in a two midweek games the year that he won the Heisman, which was this, uh, he won the Heisman in 2013. He played here in the spring of 2014, packed wow. house here at UCF. So kind of a little quirky little stat there because um, I don't think we've had a Heisman Trophy winner play at Spectrum Stadium against UCF. No, we have had Russell Wilson. I just want to point that out. Anyway. But he didn't win the Heisman. Though. True, true. I know, yeah. I know. My brain already hurts. All right. We got to get out of here. Thanks to you guys. <laughs> uh, and thanks to all of you fans who download us. Make sure you follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. Uh, follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. Follow Eric at Eric Lopezillo. Follow Brian at Spokes underscore Murphy. Follow us, all of us at UCF underscore Banneret and at facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. For all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, thanks for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Catch you next week.